Hey y'all, it's Courtney here. Just wanted to give a quick disclaimer about what we're going to get into on this episode. So Andre and I recorded last night, Tuesday, August 10th, and this is when we record the episode. At the time, the only reporting out was that Richie Burp had been, was stepping away from the spirit due to health reasons, and that he would come back as in the front office staff at a later date. What we know now is that the NWSL and the Washington Spirit have initiated an investigation based on the NWSL's anti-harassment policy for a safe work environment. And the investigation is in response to, they say, quote, a credible press report. But even since they released the statement, there have been more reports coming out about Richie Burke. When we talked about this, it was coming from, that was the only information we had at the time. And so we just wanted to give that little caveat when we get to that section of today's episode. So we're going to talk about this in more depth and more detail soon. So thanks for listening, and here's today's episode. Dunn spun away, looking, shooting! Dunn with a goal! Well done by Crystal! 1-0-U-S! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Diaspora United. I am talking really fast. My name is Andre Carlisle. I am here with Courtney <laughs> Stith. Courtney, how are you feeling today? I'm okay. I'm catching up on sleep post-Olympics, you know, just trying to get extra hours in. I have not been good at it, but you know, that's what I'm working on. I definitely feel you there. The Olympics just completely messed me up. I was saying, we were talking before the podcast and I said, like, I know the final, the the final, like the gold medal match and the bronze medal match were not that long ago, but it feels like a month ago. <laughs> and it's been four days. It, it's just been four days. My brain, my brain. Oh boy. Anyway, um, welcome to another episode. I already said that we are going to I'm actually give you a quick, quick episode rundown. We're going to talk about some news. Uh, we're going to put a bow on the Olympics, kind of run through the gold medal match and the bronze medal match. Um, there was plenty of analysis done on it, so we're not going to spend a ton of time on that. But we do have a couple things we need to say. Uh, then we're going to talk about the weekend's NWSL matches and then talk about what got us heated and what got us hyped. And then uh, we're going to get out of here. But before we do that, it's time to read a review. We do appreciate every single time y'all leave reviews. Uh, If you are listening to us on an app that allows you to rate the podcast, please give us five stars, not four or one. Somebody gave us one. Disappointing, but that's okay. They're probably mad at me when I said something to them on Twitter. That's the way this life works. Who gave us one star? I'm sure it was somebody trying to get back at me because I clowned them on Twitter. It happens. Um, (laughs) But yes, we do also love the reviews. And this one was one of the first ones we got. And it's very kind. I've, I've, I've kind of held this one in my back pocket because it's a lot to read, it's long, and it is very, very um, kind to us. It almost feels like me reading it feels a little, uh, I don't know, it feels a little conceited, maybe, um, but that's just my sensitivity. Uh, <laughs> but it's a very it's a very nice uh, review. It was left by I Like Ponies 303. They titled Hello, it ponies. Informative and Fun. Yeah, I know, I Like Ponies 303. Um, here it is. I've been following Andre on Twitter for some time now and I've enjoyed his perspective on women's soccer. I was very excited to hear that he and Courtney started up a podcast giving much needed attention to black women in the game. I am definitely enjoying the podcast so far. These two are soccer nerds. Thank you. And I love how much info they churn out in one episode. 
I didn't know of Courtney before this, but she's great and just as knowledgeable. Although they sometimes cover serious topics, this is not a dry podcast. They love the sport and these athletes, and it's apparent in the joyous way they speak about it slash them. They cover senior players and the up-and-coming players, and they give Midge Purse the respect that she deserves. Again, thank you very much for that very that kind so nice. review. I like ponies, 303. We like you. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that is genuinely so nice. I, Whenever someone showers me in compliments, I do this thing where I like kind of frown because I'm like, <laughs> this is so nice. I don't know how to react, and that was how I was that entire time. Thank you. I like ponies. 303? Yeah. That was so nice. We're both very bad at receiving compliments. This does not give you carte blanche to just compliment us, but we do appreciate it, and we thank you. (laughs) We love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Honestly, we didn't expect the reaction uh, to this pod when we started it. We just wanted to, like, have fun with each other, like, talk about women's soccer, elevate Black women in the game. You know, talk to a few of the players and, you know, just kind of kick it, have a cool space. And y'all have been so great supporting it. So thank you so much. Uh, We're going to stop talking about ourselves now. We're going to get on with the rest of the podcast. First up, order of business. We got some news. Just two quick news items. Get ready. Uh, As mentioned a while ago uh, or announced a while ago, we are going to have two competing uh, international women's competitions happening in the middle of the NWSL season. And those are both coming up soon. Uh, both will feature matches on Wednesday, August 18th. And it seems like the penultimate matches, third place and the first place matches, um, will happen on Saturday, August 21st. Your first is the Women's International Champions Cup 2021. That's going to feature Lyon and Barcelona and the Houston Dash and the Portland Thorns. That one Sounds terrifying. Uh, The inaugural Women's Cup is going to be the one happening in Louisville. That one is going to feature Rossing Louisville, Chicago Red Stars, Bayern Munich, and PSG. Also slightly terrifying. So yeah, that those are coming up, and uh, we will. We got the the rosters today, uh, the squads today for the International Champions Cup, um, the Women's International Champions Cup. So you can check those out. We did retweet those. Um, and we will post the ones when the inaugural Women's Cup uh, drops theirs. Those are coming up. When those happen, we will review them as we do just about every match. So let's move on. The Olympics. We're going to start with the bronze medal game, which the U.S. Women's National Team rebounded, actually scored some goals, which is the thing they've been struggling. They also let what in a, concept. a few, which is interesting. Yes, they, they beat Australia. <laughs> right. They beat Australia four to three. Uh, Courtney, quick thoughts on this match and how it went. Um, quick thought, chaotic. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. honestly, I mean, a four like four three match. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, or even if you follow the podcast on Twitter, you know that I love an Olympico. So the fact that there was another Olympico in the Olympics, I said thanks for this. This it really felt like it was just for me. So thanks, Pino. Really <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, I also thought Pino was just kind of on one, honestly, for the entire match. And yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting when you look at these games because you're like, oh, they played well in ret- like c- in comparison to their other performances of the tournament. But also when you think of the tournament as a whole, it's like most of the players on this roster did not play well and some didn't play well because they were constantly, you know, 
put under pressure, having to mark three or four people and cover three to four positions a game. And then other players just either had the yips. I also have uh, I have a theory of why Abby Dahlkemper has the yips or had the yips. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, it was a fun match. Like definitely a super fun match for the neutral to watch. I'm, I know we made the decision to sleep in and not watch the match at four o'clock in the morning. Do I regret my decision? No, but it also could have <laughs> like, would have been kind of fun to see live, but I mean, I am happy for the black players and that they got medals and they all seemed really, really happy, even though they didn't, you know, reach their initial goal, which is winning a gold medal. All right, so rewind just a little bit because I want to hear this theory that you have about Abby Doll Kemper and the Yips. <laughs> okay, so I hadn't seen this video until today where I was taking a break during my 9 to 5, and I was on YouTube, and I saw that Pino had a mic'd up that was like from like July 21st or something, so pre-Olympics. Watched her mic'd up, and in the middle of it, you know, it's like, there, you know, you normally get sounds from all over the field, but during this one sound or this one clip, uh, the the clip preceding it is her versus Abby Dahlkemper, and she like gets the ball and like passes it or pokes ball pass or whatever, and then they cut to the next clip where Pino just bodies her in practice, like she just fully got bodied, and that's what I think happened. That's oh, how she you got think the Pino yips. Pino broke Abby <laughs> because Pino bodied her, and I mean, not e- like not even like here's some contact. <laughs> at let's say it's, it was at like forty seconds. At forty seconds, both Pino and Abidal Kemper were on the screen, and at forty-one seconds, it was only Pino. She <laughs> just flew, and that's how I'm convinced um, that Ab- Abidal Kemper got the yips. That's my conspiracy theory. <laughs> it's as good a theory as any because it was very very difficult besides the right back situation it was very difficult to figure out what was going on with abby and you know what um having been the first time i've heard of this theory i'm fully on board i think pino broke abby so we, we can run with that <laughs> that's fine <laughs> that's my conspiracy theory yeah uh you know i and i slept through the match as well i did not get up at 4 a.m for it I have zero regrets, even though a 4-3 scoreline was was fun to wake up to, and a 4-3 match at 4 a.m. probably would have felt extra fun, um, and adding in the dose of delirium that I would have had. Um, so, like, obviously that was a moment uh, that you probably didn't get, that wasn't replicated by already knowing the score and re-watching the match as we did. But well, I didn't know the score going in. I, like, purposely oh. did not check email anything like that. Which is also why I started watching the game a little bit earlier than our watch along because I was like, I might get pinged to do something during a work meet, like, or get pulled into a work meeting. So I actually did not know. I just like woke up and I was like, I can't check Twitter, can't check anything. Um, and so I went in fully blind, did not even know there was an Olympico. Oh, I, I respect that. I don't, that level of self control is completely foreign to me. <laughs> there's just no way I can wake up and go hours without like looking at my phone or trying to check, especially if there's something that I know I wanted to pay attention to. Like I want to know the result of, I will absolutely like, I'll probably do well the first five minutes of telling myself, no, you're going to, you're going to hold out. You're not going to do this. It's going to be fine. You're going to be all right. It'll, it'll pay off in the end. Then by about, oh, five minutes and 12 seconds, I'm probably being like, 
what if this happened? What if there's a big injury and you need to know about it and you don't know about it? Like my brain's just going to go through all these things and I'm just going to, I'm just going to give in. It's just the way my brain works. It's a problem. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I thought this was an interesting lineup. It almost, it, to me, this lineup almost, cons- almost confirmed that Vlaco was like, Going into the Olympics, like I'm going to rely on the older players um, to get through this tournament because there was really no reason to not name a younger lineup, a more active lineup um, than what he named. So mm-hmm. I, I this to me just you know uh, again reading tea leaves, um, this seems to be th- this seems to have been planned as like their tournament. This is going to be like their last one i don't know if it's going to be a last hurrah or whatever but this is was going to be their tournament because with australia's defense is not great and they were missing ellie carpenter as we said before the match um and if there was ever a time to just put in younger players so they can go out there and earn a medal uh that kind of was the time to do it and we'll we'll talk later about canada but basically that's what canada did yeah and i think well i was also thinking okay who are like the really young players on this roster and i was like it's cat and tierna yeah it's like tierna played cat just did not make the game day um but yeah like especially you know waking up um because i did record the match so i was able to like see the roster before the match actually started and like i don't know to me this and, and thinking kind of generally about this entire tournament i feel like there was just a plan made early on of like how things were gonna look like i remember um after the sweden match that we knew like we had already known of planned subs all of that stuff that was already gonna happen so to me this was just kind of sticking to the plan which does ring a few alarm bells for me of okay like how are we going to adjust in tournament and like you know in case something like crazy happens you know like if i don't know if the u.s somehow lost australia or you know was in that third place spot and instead had to play great britain or go out and like play off uh play sweden again like something like that so that seeing that lineup and thinking okay this is probably has been pre-planned makes me a little bit nervous yeah, I think, and I think that was a theme that we saw throughout the Olympics. Just the, the pre-planning just didn't really give any leeway to make actual adjustments to what was going on. Um, and you know, I, it's a good point on you on the on the on the young players. I guess I was in my mind, I was more so. I, I said young players, but I'm more so thinking about players who didn't get the experience in in order yeah. to play. Like Casey Kruger, definitely. Christy Mewis, definitely. Wanted to see Lynn Williams start another match. Wanted to see Cat as the nine instead of. Carly and Pino starting, you know, so it was, it was kind of like that, uh, and and kind of what I was looking for. But you know, he he leaned on leaned on the vets, and they got him a bronze, and um, I, they they did find a way, a narrative way, I will say, <laughs> to turn mm-hmm. that into a big win. Uh, they definitely celebrated it, and not saying they shouldn't have, uh, but I know that I know that it was a disappointing tournament for for them, and there are certain players there, and. That, that I feel like it, the tournament was probably a lot more frustrating for than others um, just because they rarely got a chance to get on the pitch when they know they were better than some of the other players who kept getting playing time. Well, I mean, not even that. And thinking about, you know, so much of the narrative with Carly and Pino, and I mean, to be fair, they both got braces 
in this match. But, Australia, but yeah. I mean, also that second goal, I do want to shout out the calamity defending. That was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Because yeah. also, truly the most comical way, I think, for Pino to score. <laughs> like two missed clearances that they hit and just went up in the air somehow. <laughs> that you volleyed it. Um, yeah, when I saw that like happening. Right to her, that was really, really hilarious. I was like, this great is volley, probably... Great volley, Vicious volley. Oh, great. Great goal. Hilarious defending. <laughs> Just absolutely hilarious. One of the fun... Like, that genuinely made me, like, burst out laughing because I was like, of course. This is... Almost feels like a <laughs> like a little bit like a cart... Like, if you're, like, cartoon soccer, then not being able to clear the ball, this is what happens. But, yeah, I feel like, you know, there is this narrative that Pino and Carly and a few of the vets, you know, show up in really big moments... I'm like, yeah, this game was a big moment. But also I think about, for example, if I'm thinking about the two really big moments of this tournament or like the two big moments that should have happened if a lot of like other things with this team did not happen of just like yips and all that stuff, you know, that moment that they should have really shown up was against Canada. So I don't know, to me, that's like another layer of the narrative too of, oh, well, yeah, they show up in really, really big moments, but also to me where they really, really should have shown up was during Canada because going into this Australia match, we knew, we knew there was no Ellie Carpenter. Um, and honestly the vibe of the match for the U S was, Hey, we'll just score more goals than you. <laughs> we won't really defend. I mean, two of them were mistakes, but uh, you know, or well, yeah, two of them were mistakes and one of them was kind of a worldie, but that narrative of, these players showing up in really big moments, I feel like wasn't actually, it was like kind of completed or fulfilled per se, but also at the same time, not really. Yeah. To me, not really at all, actually. I mean, they did once and I guess, you know, they did end up getting a bronze medal out of it, but this, the, the talent on this team is not bronze medal talent. That's what I'll say. Um, the talent available in the U.S., maybe this is a better way to put it, <laughs> the talent available in the U.S. women's national team player pool is not bronze medal I agree. talent. I also think that of the players that went to Tokyo, there was still not bronze medal. And this isn't, the, you know, I know that piece came out, you know, basically uh, before the Olympics, basically like about Blacko and saying how like he can't lose um in terms of like, anytime you lose, it's just going to be this big story. And so that's a lot of pressure and all that. It's really not even that. It's just like, <laughs> with as flawed as the team was, and as flawed as the game plans were, they still managed to get the bronze medal. And you just think that like, if there were sensible decisions <laughs> that were made, mm. uh, they wouldn't have been in that position. I mean, yeah. And actually, this is going to be a cheeky little segue. Um, I mean, <laughs> even if Canada did not get that penalty, the U.S. might have somehow bumbled their way into a gold medal match, which yeah. is crazy thinking about like just the form that this team has been in. But if they did bumble their way into that gold medal match, unless some big things happened, they probably would have gotten spanked a little bit. But you know who did not actually get spanked, Andre? Canada, our gold medalist of the 2020 Olympics. The diaspora did it. A whole lot of black players on Canada. I mean, I... This match was really bonkers to me. Like, <laughs> it just had another game with super chaotic energy. Yeah, this was, and I, 
I remember I was on a, uh, I, I can't remember. I think it was the Gal Pal Sports um, podcast that we ended up doing with them where I basically was like, oh, it seems to me like Sweden's going to win, but Canada's best chance really is to do exactly what they did to the U.S. <laughs> and wouldn't you know, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> and they were successful. In fact, I thought it wasn't going to be successful because Sweden scored first. You know, they got that goal. Was it Blackstenius? Uh, got that goal. And I was thinking, oh, okay, here comes Sweden. If they end up getting another one, then that's a wrap because Canada doesn't really like, they don't, they don't have, they, they're a very good team and they're very defensively solid, but they're also one of those teams where if you get a couple goals on them, it's very hard for them to find that way to like stretch themselves out and allow themselves to stretch out enough to be able to really hurt you and, and threaten to get two goals. So I thought, ooh, this might be it. But they, credit to them, they held strong. Um, they didn't allow another goal. They got the penalty they needed, uh, scored the penalty they needed. And from then on, took it to pins. And you know when it's pins, I mean, it's toss-up that time. Well, there are a few things I want to say about this match besides it being chaotic. One, uh, I know on a previous podcast, I was like, Bev Priestman, what are you doing with your substitutions? <laughs> but I actually thought the substitutions she made this match were, even though, of course, we did not see Deanne Rose and Michelle Prince play together, another pair of really good forwards who make <laughs> great runs and can stretch a defense that we did not see play together this tournament. Cough, cough, Vladko. But um, I actually, I did think that the subs Bev Priestman made were really, really good and like really had... Um, or like a good momentum shift and like they were just all smart to me. And the one thing that I actually also really, really appreciated was for a moment, I thought Canada might pull two goals because at, basically after that penalty call, which was, I mean, the actual call wasn't similar, but I was like, if they're giving a pen to against the U.S. for yeah. Tierna Davidson's foul, they're going to give a pen against Sweden for this foul on Christine Sinclair. Um, and of course, Chelsea player, Jesse Fleming. I, as soon as... She got the ball. I was like, she's burying this. Jesse Fleming has taken baller pens all tournament, <laughs> really throughout the entire knockout stage. Her pen against uh, Brazil was really, really good. Her pen against the U.S. was really good. And her two penalties here were also really, really good. Um, so as soon as she got the ball, I was like, Canada's scoring. It's going to be a tie match. And then for the next, you know, five minutes, it was really all Canada. And I was like, you know, sometimes I didn't end up tweeting it, but I think like Sweden's out here defending for their lives. Um, but I mean, I'm happy Canada won. I was like, I can now say Nichelle Prince, gold medalist. You say sure Desiree can. Scott, gold medalist. I can say Kadisha yep. Buchanan, gold medalist. Mm. Deanne Rose, Jade yes. Riviere, Keep going. Ashley Lawrence, mm -hmm. gold medalist. Like that is a great thing to say. And also we're going to get to Ashley Lawrence in a second. She's a beast this entire tournament. But, you know, I was happy for Canada. I thought they really deserved it. Um, and in terms of, even though I will say, of what in the last five minutes of extra time before going to penalties, I don't know how Sweden didn't score. <laughs> yeah, I think Hertig had like two open headers that just barely missed the post. I have no, I think one missed wide right and one missed wide left, and I was like, "What are you doing?" Like that's that's her thing. Uh, but for some reason, it just wasn't it just wasn't going in. And I, I remember the one I, I ended up tweeting because it let out like this primal scream after one of them. And it was amazing. <laughs> like they were so frustrated. Yeah, it was just 
there were so many moments where I was like, how Canada is not conceding. And you know what I think it was, if I'm being my most honest self? It was Steph LeBay. Just she had CONCACAF <laughs> shithousery running through her veins. Just running through her veins. Because during that penalty shootout, that was literally iconic. I tweeted it. I was like, this is iconic shithousery. The, at one point, the camera... <laughs> The camera cut to a close-up of her, and she just had, like, crazy eyes. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was just her eyes. I was like, there, I was like, Steph LeBay has been injured, honestly, since game one of this tournament. <laughs> and I thought before that she was running on duct tape and prayer, but really she was running on duct tape and shithousery. Yes. I <laughs> got her through this whole tournament because I, I wish I'd calculated it. She has saved over, at least over five. Over five penalties in this tournament, which is crazy. Yeah, her performance was, it was masterful. It was so good. Like, just from standing there, the the one time, the time that got me when she she was standing really close, you know, just kind of standing there while the the, uh, Sweden player was trying to, you know, get the ball perfectly on the spot. And she's just standing there and then the ref kind of like blows the whistle, tries to get her to move back. She moves back, doesn't break eye contact. She's got that smirk on her face. And then when she gets back to the line, she shows her teeth. And then she starts bouncing all along the line. Like, oh my God. Like it was, it was so great to watch. I watched that penalty shootout twice just just to watch her <laughs> because she was killing me the entire time. It was truly spectacular. And you know, honestly, congrats to Canada. I know that there's been um I've actually talked about this on another podcast, but there's, you know, been a renewed push to get um, you know, a women's soccer league in Canada, or at least hopefully get some NWSL teams out there. And I really, really hope that happens because A, that would quite simply just be more fun. Um, and not only great for the NWSL, but also, you know, great for Canada women's soccer. Like, the fa- like to me, the fact that they've won, and not saying that they don't have tremendous players and a great coach, but you know, thinking about, for example, other nations in CONCACAF, you know, we've talked a few times about Mexico and how important Liga Emex uh, Liga Feminil is to the Mexican national team. So the fact that, you know, they won a gold medal and still don't have professional teams, professional women's soccer teams in Canada and don't have a league is an incredible achievement. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also just frustrating. You see, like, you know, it's like even even the winners of these big tournaments have have so many issues they have to fight. Like, you know, the the 29 World Cup was all about equal pay, you know, and the women, the U.S. Women's National Team won that. Um, and then right. At, I mean, during and and even during the, the, the championship parades, you know, the victory parades they're they're talking about it. And even well after that. And Canada has to share their, you know, jubilance of this performance with, hey, how about investment? How about a league? How about some teams? How about anything? Look what we've done with all of us playing somewhere outside of our country. That's wild. Just wild. So like, yeah, yeah I really and hope I'm, I really hope they get it. Yeah. And also, you know, when you even think about the 2015 World Cup, like I only have very hazy memories of the 2015 World Cup. But I remember, for example, like even talk, you know, 2019 with equal pay, 2015 was just like, hey, can we play on grass? Yeah, right. Like, can yeah, we not absolutely. Play on turf fields. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. we're probably going to get into that later about just calamitous <laughs> turf fields. But you know, congrats to Canada. The diaspora is pleased. Very the diaspora pleased. is so pleased. And shout out to Ashley Lawrence, who was a who just balled out 
all tournament. I had before before the before the tournament. I thought Fridolina Rolfo, uh, who out, who also had a very good tournament, uh, was going to be like my player of the match um, or player of the tournament. Um, and in that gold medal match, to me, actually Lawrence took it. Her influence was much greater. She was so much better. Uh, she she was a constant outlet for Canada and driving them. And that's kind of the thing that Canada needs. I think it was really the combination of Lawrence and Fleming, who, even though they're a defensive team, you can't just come and pepper them. Like, they won't do that. Like, they'll be outlets and they'll get the ball moving forward. You can't just, like, keep the ball parked in their half and they're just defending maniacally to keep you out. It's It's a lot more... <laughs> it's a lot less Mourinho than that, right? <laughs> like they they actually go out there and they have ways that they can hurt you. And part of that is Ashley Lawrence, who is just really solid defensively, but can also um, put in a shift and get the ball up forward um, when when they need her to be an outlet, uh, even when teams press. So like she's she was fantastic. Yeah, and also another really good outlet for. Canada was also Deanne Rose. Like at one oh, point yeah. she was like, it was kind of funny because she was just kind of like <laughs> fucking with Sweden's back line. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, you want like, oh, we're both jogging for this ball. You think you're going to get there first? Hilarious. And would just like <laughs> all of a sudden get there. So yeah, I think in terms of those outlets, um, you know, because I know that since Jesse Fleming, you know, scored the the equalizing penalty and scored the um, the winning penalty against the U.S., like definitely has gotten a lot of praise, but I do also want to give praise to Deanne Rose as well. And even at times, um, Nichelle Prince, who just yes. like when they could get the ball to her and would just like Sweden cannot handle quick forwards, cough, cough, Lotko. Um, mm-hmm. But how about, how about it? But yeah, I mean, Deanne Rose was, and also took a, so if you guys don't know with penalties at one point, Sweden was leading 2-1, and Canada missed three straight penalties. And we're like, it's going to end now. It was like, because Sweden shot first, and it was literally the last penalty. And it was Deanne Rose. Ice in her veins. (laughs) Upper 90, baller penalty. And I was like, why don't you let her take other penalties, first of all? But I was like, (laughs) but. Baller penalty smashed it home. And that's how we got into sudden death where Canada eventually won. But that penalty was great in her entire contribution. Not only is it like the entire tournament, but I feel like especially the semifinal and the final matches were, it was so important to Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved Canada's performance and, and there was, it was such a chaotic penalty shootout because you know, uh, Sweden had a chance to to win outright. Their captain and what thirty six years old Caroline Seeger, their uh, uh, center back. It came down like you like if Disney writes that script, like it's it's a wrap. That penalty is mm-hmm. going in, like it's a wrap. But this is real life. This is not Disney. <laughs> this is not how things work. She skied her penalty, and it was so. I actually kind of felt bad because I was like she probably not going to get another chance to do this. I mean, she probably can hang on. The next Olympics is what, in like three years now? I really thought that she was going to do it and just, it was it was like disastrous. But then Canada was like, okay, good. We're like, we're going to go. It wasn't just like they breathe a sigh of relief. Like they 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 stayed focused. They're like, all right, good. We're going we gonna to hit our next penalty and we're going to do this. And that's exactly what they did. Like the the, just the emotional strain that penalties can put on you period and then you put a gold medal as the like prize 
Like that is just, I, I tweeted, like if I were taking these penalties, I would just collapse into a puddle of myself before, like in during my run up. So like, mm-hmm. I just could not believe the pressure and then the chaotic nature of how it went. And then Canada prevailed even after, you know, like you mentioned, three players missed back to back to back. Normally that's it. Like your, your, your whole like confidence, your whole demeanor, everything shrinks. You're just done. Like you're deflated. Canada never deflated. Never. And that's so cool. Because Deanne Rose went and sunk that penalty. But yeah, (laughs) I, I also felt bad for Sager because it's also like, I feel like with penalty shootouts, you know, it's one thing if you hit the post, which (laughs) Aslani did the first penalty and I was like, oh God, (laughs) um, it's like one thing if you purely miss versus it's another thing if you get your penalty saved where it's like, at least to me, penalty saves are like more acceptable than if you just like sky it over the bar or just like, just put it wide. Like that is just super, like that is like another level of gutting. And when Sager missed, I was, I was like, Oh no. (laughs) I was like, Oh no. Oh yes. Oh no. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. You, like win. y'all hit you at the same time. You're like, yes, Canada. Oh my God. What just happened to her? Like, okay. doesn't matter. <laughs> she's got it big time, but you know, kudos to Canada. Very many congratulations, special congratulations to Shireen Ahmed. We know you're having a great time. Shout Major out to Shireen. Congratulations. Shout out to Shireen. Um, so we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back to break down all the things going on in the NWSL because there's a lot, and somehow this league just keeps getting more and more competitive, question mark? And we are back. We're going to talk about this weekend's NWSL matches, do some heated hype, and get out of here. So... Uh, we're going to start in order, and the first match was Gotham nil, Courage 1. I was driving. I was I was on my way to Leesburg, Virginia, which took a <laughs> long time, so I did not get to see this match. Therefore, Courtney, tell me all about it. Yeah, so Gotham's second home loss of the season Actually, I think it's their only loss of the season, or their second loss of the season in general. Um, But I'm, yep, it's actually their only second loss of the season. And honestly, it was, I mean, the first thing I noticed coming in was that it was not as unreasonably hot (laughs) at Red Bull as it's been the past few matches. I can't lie. I feel like the previous two Gotham matches, it was it was hot sale. I was just so hot that entire time. So the fact that this time I wasn't thinking like, oh, wow, I'm not like stuck to my seat. Um, but yeah, big things from the match. I thought, well, I was also so tired post Olympics that <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to tweet live tweet this match. Like I quite simply can't like my brain, my two brain cells cannot communicate with each other that fast. So I'm just going to tweet big things. And I think the number one thing that I really noticed um was that Gotham, for the first match in a long time, really missed Midge Purse as well as Paige Monahan. I just think the two of them, like, of course, you know, we always celebrate Midge here, but even Paige Monahan really, really adds something to the team. And, you know, I know we talked last episode about kind of the importance of being like a really good transition team. And I just think without Midge Purse and Paige Monahan, like, 
really out of that front three, you're just kind of left with Evie, who is always in her bag and trying to get a goal, to be fair. Like, she was still this match in her bag, really trying to get a goal. But you just kind of miss that spark up front. And I feel like Gotham, for the most part, even though they only, you know, they only lost by one goal. And I thought, surprisingly to me, the match was pretty even overall. Um, But yeah, I just thought that they kind of looked flat. I thought they really, really missed just having like um, Midge and Paige out on the wing. And so, and also the other part of this match, I really, really wanted to see Jennifer Cujo come in um, because when I was like, Gotham is super flat. Everyone who's playing right now has, you know, been playing these last few weeks, not necessarily a lot of rotation in the team, um, except, you know, except for injuries. So I really wanted to see Cujo come in, kind of add that spark. Also just, you know, she's a great passer, great ball winner. And I thought she could, you know, really just add another level to Gotham because at one point I thought, I thought it was kind of like both Gotham and North Carolina were like spent the first half trying to figure each other out. But then in the second half, North Carolina was really getting on the ball and keeping it simple when going forward. But when Gotham got on the ball, they kept trying to do like flick passes, you know, cheeky back heels, kind of complicating things in the final third. And for that reason, things really weren't coming off in the same way that like, you know, normally if Gotham gets, let's say five chances in front of goal, I think they're going to score one of them versus this match. I, besides really one chance at the very end with um, Brianna Pinto, I didn't really think that Gotham was... And sorry, this is for the second half. I didn't really think Gotham was going to score. You know, so here's my question to you. What is going on with the Jen Cujo thing? I honestly, I don't know. I thought when Gotham signed Tine, like that it would add, like I didn't think, for example, adding in that signing that Cujo was going to get benched. Because I think, and we kind of talked about I don't know if we talked about this or I tweeted about this when Gotham played the spirit that having Zerboni and Long like kind of as your two holding two destroyer didn't really work because I didn't think there was enough speed between the both of them, but also just kind of that true like box to box dynamism that you can really get from Cujo. And so I don't know, to me, like that is especially when like your missing pieces are starting to show, you can kind of, you know, cover that up a bit with a more dynamic midfielder. Because also, to be fair, I think what (laughs) Tine was doing was, like, she was really low-key rotating, and that front three was really front four between um, her, she, and Kawasumi and Ify. Like, they were really just kind of a rotating front four. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I... It's a mystery to me, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I don't know. It's It's been weird because, you know, when, when something like that starts to happen and you notice like, okay, this seems to be the way that they're going, you, in fairness, want to give it a chance and see like, okay, what is the benefit to doing this beyond what Cujo would provide? And I'm not really seeing it. I think Cujo gives a lot more um, in that position than what they're getting. And so it's very strange to me that this has persisted. I don't know if there were certain, like, you know, you bring a player all the way over from France and you just assume, like, okay, going to have to give you, like, a fair fair shot to get in the 11. So I don't know if it's that. But just, and obviously I'm not, I'm not in the coaches' rooms. I don't know exactly what they're looking for. But I just feel like the team was more fluid and looked a little more dangerous in those midfield areas with Cujo as opposed to 
16a so i'm i don't know i'm confused and i don't like it i'm 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 real close to a to a free cujo campaign real close i mean honestly i i really do feel the exact same way especially when at times gotham looked flat yeah and so it's like you know and i mean i i noticed this actually during the match was probably this was one of those matches where i didn't look up because normally when i go to a match i like am you know i'm locked in for the entire match but like the first half it's like you it's the first half so it's like you know you can look up and it's like oh we're at the 34th minute like you can you don't you can feel time passing slowly versus normally for me the second half (laughs) it's like all of a sudden we're in the 50th minute and then all of a sudden it's like 82 and i'm like where did where did these last 22 uh, 32 minutes of my life go but to me that didn't happen this second half to me it was very much like and time's going on and we're here and everything feels kind of slow. And at one point I like looked at the bench and the only player warming up really was Pinto. And I was like, I mean, this is great because, um, you know, when she came in and I didn't actually didn't really, she was at one point at the 10 and then for like two minutes played kind of as a nine with Efi. And I was like, Oh, I like this. I really <laughs> like this. Um, just for, I was like, we have no dynamism up top, but yeah, I I don't know what's going on with Cujo and I mean and to me honestly it doesn't make like it doesn't make a lot of sense and I to be fair I don't remember when um Tina's loan is over. I can't think about it off the top of my head, but you know, when you have someone like that on the bench and you really need a spark, you should put in Cujo. So yeah, I I I kind of get it with with you know, Gotham's commitment to being defensively solid. You know, they do have a very impressive defensive record. But I, I think I still think that Cujo is a solid defensive player as well. So to me, if you if you want Tina in there, you don't necessarily need Long and Zerboni. I think you can have one or the other and have Cujo on there with Tina if that's how you wanted to roll. So, and I don't think you lose too much defensively by doing that either because Cujo is intelligent uh, and she's also a difficult player to get by. So, yeah, honestly, I agree one hundred percent. It was it was very confusing, um, and I just want to I do want to give though uh, some time for North Carolina. I mean, I thought they played well. Like, if I'm being completely honest, I will say, like, so after they scored, um, <laughs> Dee Dee went over to the AR and was giving her some of her mind. Um, which at first I was like, I don't know if this is fair, but then when I like went online and watched a replay, I was like. Ah, I don't know maybe have like a little bit of shout about this about um spec being offside but you know for north carolina i think they really needed to pick up a road win and the fact that they did that is good and now you know they're back to second in the table and uh definitely having jess mcdonald back in was great for them too and i thought that you know they were super defensively sound like we had seen them i think before Jess McDonald came back in, and then even before Abby Ursic came back, there were some question marks about their back line. And to me, they looked super solid against, even though Gotham necessarily wasn't totally clicking offensively, like, Ify will go out there and get herself a goal. She's done it. This is probably the first match in a while that she hasn't secretly went and got herself a goal. So the fact that, you know, they were able to keep it locked down defensively is good for them going down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you know, it, it's it's a stumble, but it's a stumble against the courage, and that that tends to happen. Um, so this second half of the season is going to be very interesting, though, because teams are going to get back to full strength, and that's going to be very interesting. Um, well, that and, also, and the funny 
Get well soon, Midge. First of all, get, get well soon, Midge. Rocking a stellar outfit that Gotham still will not post. Admin, <laughs> post that post the, post that outfit because people were asking me for photos. And I was like, I'm too far away. So go, go post it. I'd also, another incredible TikTok video of outfits. Really killing it on the fashion game. Um, but, you know, because of the interesting, let's say I'll <laughs> describe it as interesting, uh, resu- other results in the NWSL, Gotham still sits at third in the table and still have a game in hand because, of course, they do. <laughs> like, of course, none of the NWSL teams have all played the exact same amount of games. So, yeah, it's like a little stumble. Um, but, you know, hopefully they get back on the right track. And also, hopefully, next match, I can see Pinto and Ify up top because that is something I would really like to see. Uh, but, you know, moving on. Andre, over to you. The Spirit lost to the Thorns 1-0 off a of Simone Charlie banger. Just bodies people. <laughs> Best. I tweeted this. I don't think there's another player in the NWSL that is as good as bodying defenders to score <laughs> a header than Simone Charlie. Yeah, I think when I tweeted this highlight, I just said all caps like Simone Charlie will dunk on you because I feel like this is just what she does. (laughs) Like if the ball's anywhere near, you know, reachable within her head, it doesn't matter what defender is is near her or what positioning they have. She's going to jump, she's going to beat them, and she's going to head the ball into the net. And that's exactly what she did. (laughs) Uh, And it's... It's wild. Like I've, I've, okay. So the match was at Segra, and we all know that Segra's trash. Okay, like, <laughs> Wait, can I quickly it, talk about the tweet yeah, that I had where I thought my computer, I literally thought my TV was glitching because <laughs> I would see the ball, and then I would see like, or I'd see players move, and then I would just see this like look like black glitch behind them, and I was like, what is going on with my TV? And then I realized <laughs> that's just Segra and the <laughs> turf. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, and, 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 you know, I, trash is, is too hard, too harsh. I will say like, I'll, I will say that. However, it is not where a professional team should be playing. And I, and that has been my stance for ever since they basically said they're going to have games there. Um, you know, the spirit have already played one home game in Houston because Segra was not quote unquote ready. Now that Segra is ready enough to host NWSL matches, there's just still, uh, that venue is still not, I mean, shout out to the fans. It was packed. It was great. The supporters section was packed. They, you know, sang and banged the drum the entire time. So it's, it's a good atmosphere. It's just the wrong location and the wrong pitch, like, especially for the way that the spirit play. But even if it wasn't like it's, it's, it's dry they don't have any way to water it even if they did water it, i think all of those like you know rubber pellets would just like oh it'd be the worst yeah they would just like be like people like they would just be stuck completely to players as soon as they fell so like it's just it's not a surface that is something that should be used for top tier soccer and it wouldn't be if it was a men's game because it's not. DC United does not play there and will not ever play there. And the same should be said of the Washington Spirit. So um, I will continue to say that. I will continue to write about it. Um, I'm, I don't know what the negotiations look like for them to play full time at Audi Field. Hopefully that happens. But if not, I'm really hoping that, that their next match uh, against KC is at Segra. I don't remember the date. But I'm hoping that will be their final match at Segra because it's the last one 
um, scheduled for this season. Back to the match. <laughs> the match itself was a frustrating one from a spirit perspective. Um, Portland really squeezed them. Uh, the slow turf did not help. It was really, really, I mean, it's really difficult to break a press, uh, especially an organized press. And the Thorns are very organized and very good. And when they have Simone Charlie and Sophia Smith up top like they did, it's a lot of pressure to cope with particularly when you have to, you absolutely must on that turf, play the ball to feet. You cannot play it into space. You cannot try to thread a through ball or anything because it will not go where you want it to go. Um, And it will die early and it will get intercepted. So it was very difficult. And the spirit never really adjusted and started just kind of trying to go over the top. They still tried to play their game. Credit Mm -hmm. to them for attempting that. Um, They should have had a goal. Trinity Robin waited a a beat too long to take a shot. And even though she beat the the goalkeeper, uh, I believe Westfall was the one who ended up getting a sliding tackle in behind the goalkeeper to keep that shot out. Um, And after that, that was pretty much it. The spirit didn't have many chances until Takarada hit the bar, which that happened right in front of me. And when I saw that shot, I was just like, there's that's going to smash the net. And then you hear this loud, just 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 wildly loud, like bang. And you're like, oh, God, that just hit the post and the ball is in the air right now. And then not in the net. And that's unfortunate. But I, and this is the this is the before before the last obvious note about the spirit that I need to talk about. Um, I will say that Simone Charlie was was really fun to watch in person. Really good, really physical. I think, uh, you know, we we always call her the baby. You know, and that's her nickname, you know, Sophia Smith as well. But the one thing I noticed about Sophia Smith is that she is a lot stronger than you think. Um, she is very fast and she is strong. Like she had a, she had a few battles, quite a few battles all evening with Paige Nielsen, and she held her own. And if you know anything about Paige Nielsen, you know that she is swole. Paige is swole. And Paige is very strong. And, and not, not just swole, but she's sturdy. Like, that's how she's such a good defender. She can get positioning and she can move attackers out of the way. And there was no moving Sophia Smith. She could kind of had to use some defensive guile to get around her, or she had to use some last-ditch efforts uh, or some cleverness to get around her to get the ball away from her or get be- in between her and the ball. But it wasn't just like, I'm going to move you out of the way and I'm going to take the ball. Sophia Smith was not having that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, one, sorry, this is the last thing I'm going to say about the turf. Uh, Bella Bixby one time tried to bounce the ball and it turf bounced when she, <laughs> did you see that? She like caught the ball. It was, I don't know. It was like center. She caught it. You know, so then everyone, you know, jogged forward. Like they were going to play the ball out and try to bounce the ball. And it like turf bounced at the same time. And I was like, this is yeah, really funny to me. It's just uh, <laughs> It's not good. Uh, it, but I, that was my last thing about turf bounce because I just, for some reason that popped in my head and I was like, this is hilarious. Um, yeah, I thought, oh, I mean, that was watching absolute pain that that Takarada shot did not go in because that was one of those ones where you saw it coming and you were like, this is, I was like, she struck this so hard that I thought it was like going to, A, I was like, this is going in and it was like, struck this so hard that this might burst the net and just like keep going towards dc um but yeah seeing that rattle off the crossbar i was like oh oh no that's pain um but yeah i thought you know sometimes to me it's kind of hard to talk about portland because they're just 
doing all the things that they're supposed to do. <laughs> like they're playing well, they're playing together, they're getting good, you know, good shots on goal. Of course, it helps when you have Simone Charlie and Sophia Smith just being there and just, you know, being incredible. So, um, you know, Portland, seven point gap at the top of the table, back to winning ways. Um, and to me is they're all together, like clicking really, really well. And I will say with the spirit, I think if this match did not happen at Segra, that the spirit honestly had a good chance of winning it. Like there were some moments where I was like, this is a ball that would normally <laughs> like there to me, they were given the conditions they were playing well. And as you mentioned, like playing their game and there were definitely had some moments where I thought they had like, were kind of getting past or would have gotten past Portland if the ball had not like slowed down or just kind of bounced funny. Um, you know, again, I thought Andy Sullivan was just being Andy Sullivan. Um, but the one thing that was a little bit concerning to me was um, it's just kind of the refereeing of this match. And I felt actually I felt this way about the Gotham match too. And I know we're going to hit it on it later, but to me this weekend in general, there were a lot of fouls that were either not called or calls that should have been, or like fouls that were called, but the player should have gotten a card that weren't. And to me, that was especially um that was evident a few different times during the spirit match. And I mean, a bunch of times during the Gotham match where I was like, they're just not a foul as call is given ever. Yeah. We'll definitely get into the, the, the officiating. Cause it's just that, that it's just a mess, but there was one incredibly funny moment. And I understand her frustration because Trinity Rodman had a, had a frustrating night. Um, it seemed like everything she did to put pressure on, you know, uh, Thorne's defenders was whistled as a foul, but nobody could really ever foul her. There was a time late in the match where she kind of got the ball, went on one of those really strong runs, cut inside to the middle of the pitch, was heading towards the box and got her legs clipped out from under her. And she fell right on her face and slid and the referee just let it go. Just looked at her and she was like done after that. I mean, it was in stoppage time, I believe, but it was just like the whole place like erupted as you expect it to because it is a home field, but it was just like, you always see that foul given there. Trinity Raman is, does not have a reputation for diving, so I do not understand why that wasn't seen or recognized as a foul. But one of the really funny things that happens, and I don't remember what minute it was, but Robin was pressuring Klingenberg and really just staying tight to her, not letting her turn, not letting her, every time she wanted to turn around and like pass the ball back, she would kind of shade over to her and kind of get a foot in her way, and then she'd recover back so that she couldn't dribble forward. She was just limiting all of her space and Klingenberg was just kind of twisting and turning, you know, with her back until she was getting closer and closer to the sideline and it's about to dribble the ball out. And so she just falls and the referee gives the foul and Robin is like so upset. And she's like, you know, at like going to the refs. I think she went to like the AR and was asking questions. Then she went to like the, the ref on the, in the middle of the center ref and was asking questions. And then I think Klingenberg did some like hand gesture, basically saying like she's talking and uh and Trinity did this like hilarious like hand floppy thing <laughs> to like mock I know exactly what you're about. it was the funniest thing. I was like, I'm so glad that none of the mics are near me in the press box because I was cracking up. I yes, I saw that on broadcast and started <laughs> cackling, cackling. That was 
so funny to me. Um, cause yeah, clinged it <laughs> and her flapping their arms. I was like, she is <laughs> she is a gem of a player already. Um, but also one thing, and I actually know exactly what like the foul that was missed, and you know, it doesn't matter if you get the ball if like the player that you get the ball from just goes flying like trinity just like flew in the air um but also i remember she didn't there was a time where like she didn't she was fouled didn't get the foul call and the ball went out and i'm not joking the second she got the ball again she like megged someone i think she might have megged maybe it was like quika and i was like (laughs) she's mad but also i thought about like that twitter thread of um the like which women soccer player is most like Diana Taurasi against Japan or during the you didn't see this go look <laughs> yeah. it up it's hilarious but during the gold medal match and DT was just holding the ball up like her arm fully out and the Japanese player just quite simply could not get it because she was smaller than Taurasi and it was like who has that energy and we all decided correctly that it was roosevelt but when <laughs> trinity got really annoyed and just decided to fully mega player just for just because i was like she's getting some of that energy i love it oh yeah that that's how she gets her revenge every time she tries she every time she sees it she because there's other options but she'll mega you if she feels like it and it's it makes me so happy it warms my heart um the other thing is is post-match and this just dropped today um, I'm going to say that I do not know anything more, unfortunately, than what was reported. Um, and really the only thing that was reported officially was what was in the spirit release. It appears Richie Burke is no longer the coach of the Washington Spirit. They say there is a health issue that was discovered yesterday, which would have been, uh, what, Tuesday? Um, or what's today? Today, Wednesday? Today's Tuesday. Yeah, today's so Tuesday. It would have been so on th- Monday. Yeah, so they said yesterday it would have been... Um, discovered on monday and he said that um you know he wants to recover and get to full to full health so he's going to step down uh the spirit say that they have a front office position for him once he is fully recovered um it is interesting um health certainly is nothing to joke around about so um and the fact that they are keeping him on uh, also seems to speak to something, but it is very strange. Um, it is a it is an interesting situation, and um, you know, on a on a uh, from a journalistic standpoint, there's not a whole lot more to be said um, than that. So we just kind of wait and see where that goes. Um, I do. I am very interested in who the spirit are going to get. Whether they are going to be um, try to find somebody that can stick to the system and the style of play that they have. Um, I think there are a couple teams that stick out in their style of play in the NWSL and the Spirit are definitely one of them. Um, And so it'll be interesting to see if they keep that or abandon it. We, of course, wish him a speedy recovery. Like you never you never want to see like, you know, coaches, front office staff, players, anyone, you know, having to take a step back because of health issues. Um, So, you know, it is another kind of I mean. If you've been on Twitter today in the soccer world and just kind of in the general world, it's been a quite an insane news day. But, you know, hopefully he has a speedy recovery and then can come back and still help out in the front office. You know, obviously we don't know how, but hopefully that he feels better soon. Yeah. So uh, we're going to move on. And because neither one of us were at the other matches, we're going to try and, and get through these real quick. Um, maybe not like super quick, but because we still have a couple things to talk about. But, you know. Um, 
the the Gotham is really Courtney's domain and the spirit are mine. So we spend a little bit more time uh, on those teams because we have a little bit more inside info. Um, even though I didn't really give you much last time, did I? It's fine. <laughs> um, the next match was uh, OL Reign against the Houston Dash. OL Reign scored all the goals, which happened to be six of them. One of them they scored <laughs> for Dash, but and all were scored in the first half. And five were scored by the OL Reign for OL Reign. Uh, Courtney, I'm just going to ask you a real quick question. Mm-hmm. Are the real Reign finally here, or was this just one of those halves that can happen in soccer? If I'm being honest, I think it's just one of those halves that can happen in soccer i mean the last time we saw five goals being scored in an nwsl match it was portland against chicago and then i'm pretty sure the two matches after that portland lost back to back or they lost soon after so you know you can have a really really good performance um and i think for the rain it was just it was all really clicking i also thought part of it was that they were just um being bullies to Lindsay Harris. <laughs> Some of those goals, I was like, this is bullying. Um, but also, you know, when you score a goal in the sixth minute and then you score another goal in the 19th minute, uh, by the first goal was by uh, Balser, who got a brace, and then Huerta, Lesamer, and Fishlock all got on the board as well. But, you know, it's just when you're really feeling it, you're just kind of feeling it. Um, and, you know, at first it was before, like, the Lesamer goal – which was just pure bullying. If you haven't seen it, just go watch it. It's another chance of just Lesomer just bullying Americans, which is really funny to me. Um, and before the Fishlock worldie as well. Uh, I mean, it was an own goal, but the Dash kind of put themselves back into it. They, you know, it was 2-1, and we thought, oh, is this going to be one of those matches where it's just high scoring, like no defense, all vibes. Um, and obviously it did not turn out that way, but I think it was just one of those halves. If the rain pulls off like another huge performance next week where they're putting you know three and four goals past the team maybe i could say the real rain is here but i think for right now it is just it was just one of those days um and also not great for the dash because yeah that- and shout out to you actually you are correct after portland beat chicago five nil they lost two one to the rain and they lost two one to orlando so yeah this can just kind of oh, happen and especially cells. since <laughs> and especially since all the goals happened in the first half, you do kind of see, and they, and like you mentioned that just early goals, usually it takes, it takes like, it's just tough. Like at that point, Dash are just trying to like do damage limitation and, and all of that. And like the game's already lost, like it's already done when it, when a team comes out like that and just has like absurd, like Fishlock strike is just unbelievable. Like, that's just one of those things you do when you're already up, like, four to one. And you just say, you know what? I'm just going to put my foot through this and see what happens. Um, yeah, uh, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that Rain are and have a chance to be this full time. But I am I am also hesitant because they will have, I, I believe this was Sam Leite's last match in charge. Laura Harvey is on the way, so there will be... You know, that is always going to alter the squad a little bit, Um, you know, when a new coach takes over, new methods, new tactics, new directions, new instructions, you know, things like that. So, you know, I'm sure they've been communicating, too, so it won't be like completely new and she's not going to completely like change the team. Like, I don't believe they're going to be playing like a, you know, three, five, two or anything next time we see them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but but I still think that, like you said, and I'm and I'm I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement with you. Um. Hell of a match. We'll see what they do next. 
Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, they do play Kansas City next. Okay, and maybe if Kansas, not next. <laughs> I was like, and then the next match is Gotham. So maybe okay. maybe that Gotham match will be a little test. Yeah. Why is it at 10 p.m. on a Saturday? That's pain just specifically Ooh. against me. Um, we saw that oh, in the dark. Let's go. Wait, the, sorry. It's not, it's, this is actually a good thing for our listeners. It is on Saturday, August 21st at 10 p.m. You want to know it's also happening on uh, Saturday, August 21st at 10 p.m.? Nope, just kidding. That's like a triple header day, though, between... Yeah, it might be a quadruple header day between the those two tournaments. Yeah, the twenty first is going to be just just be prepared to sit on your couch all day on the twenty first because it seems like it's going to be it's going to be one of those days. Going to be one of those days. But back to the NWSL. Yeah, they play Kansas City next. Um, I will be rooting for Kansas City to pull off the upset because that's chaotic, and who Hater. does not like talking about chaotic things? Um, I was also annoyed that they gave Cook. But own goal because to me, I thought that um, Groom's shot was heading towards net anyway, and like obviously it was a deflection. But don't do that to Alana Cook. You don't need an, another own goal next to her name. Yeah, that's a weird thing that like I don't know when that became the thing, but you know I, I always thought that the rule was if the shot was on target, it really didn't matter who it hit. Like if the initial shot was on target, it was going to be credited as the the shot taker's goal. So I don't really know how this happened because I've seen a few own goals that have been, you know, given as own goals where they really shouldn't have been. The shots look like they were already on target. Now, obviously, if it's a massive deflection that like completely wrong foots the goalkeeper, then you you kind of understand it. But that's still not like the the law, like the rule. The rule is if the shot's on target, it's the shot taker's goal no matter what happens. So it's been confusing. Yeah, very confusing. Um, but, you know, that happens. I mean, the own goal is back from international duty again. So, <laughs> um, But moving on, the next match is Racing 3, Kansas City 1. The most interesting thing about this was that all goals were scored by the diaspora. The diaspora I mean, rolled in this one. I loved it. This is my favorite who, match of the weekend. Who doesn't love to see it? Yeah. I, I mean, again, Ebony Salmon, is she good? Is she good? Is she good you know, at football? I don't know. You know, people were saying something a while ago. It's true. Like, is Ebony Simon good at football? And you and know, I we still I saw some stats and, and whatnot that, that suggested that she might not be. But I gotta tell and, you, it looks like she is. I mean, it really does look like she is because also she's already racing's top scorer. <laughs> like, come talk about coming in and making an impact. Yeah. Uh, this one is definitely one that I really want to rewatch just because, I mean, A, all the goals. But also I th- thought it was a really interesting match um, because, you know, when you look at these lineups, they're two, like one expansion team, one kind of expansion kind of new team. If y'all have been listening to this podcast, y'all know what happened. Um, but, you know, it was kind of, to me, the difference between, like to me, both teams, for example, had good pieces, but what really came down to it besides also Matthew's deeply disrespectful goal, which I appreciated um, <laughs> was, you know, kind of the importance of coaching and getting the best out of your team. And I feel like racing has consistently been doing that, you know, obviously not perfect all the time, but you know, racing has picked up some good big wins. Like I remember that, uh, th- what three, one win over Chicago or three, no one over Chicago. So they also got the spirit early in the season two, a 2-0 win. Exactly. So, you know, getting the best out of 
your team versus like one team getting the best out of their players versus the other team not really getting the best out of their players. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's 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 kind of to the point in the season, and particularly after that trade where they got Kristen Hamilton and Haley Mace, um, and those players have been playing well. Um, and real quick side shout out to Darian Jenkins. I'm so glad she finally got her goal. There are so many opportunities that either like a goalkeeper made a crazy save or she ended up just narrowly missing. Like this was one of those that was it was like, it was like the ball bounced right to her in front of goal and all she had to do was tap it in. But she deserved that um, given mm-hmm. how the season had gone for her. Um, so really happy she got her goal and hope she gets a bunch more. But yeah, it's it's kind of to the point with KC where you're running out of places to to place blame. And it's just kind of looking like the coach. Um, the coach doesn't seem like they're getting, like you said, getting the best out of the players, putting the best players in the best positions. And the system doesn't seem like it's it's functioning well to take advantage of defenses. And we know they have the talent there, particularly in attack. Um, and especially with this trade, like Hamilton, Mace, Jenkins is something that should be dangerous. And it's so far it hasn't. And you can say like, yeah, they're new. But it also looks a lot like the old right now. And mm-hmm. to me, when that happens, it is the coach. So I am hoping that and, – and he's – you know, I, I don't think that's a terrible thing to note. Like I think the last job he ended up having was a, was a GM role. It wasn't really a coaching role. So mm-hmm. like it's not – that's not anything shady to say. It's like get the team a real coach and let's see what they do. Right, 100%. And, you know, just – you know, the nature of GM is different than the nature of head coach. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully, you know, we're hoping that they get their first win because they really, really do deserve it. But as always, shout out to Ebony Salmon. Shout out to the diaspora. Nadia shout Nadine out to Nadia Nadim. Yes, getting her first goal back in the NWSL. Loved it. And Shayna yeah. Matthews just being so disrespectful. <laughs> I goal was so, a deep disrespect. And I was like, you know, you, you deserve it. So... You know, it's definitely going to be an interesting one and a tiny bit of separation in between the eighth and ninth team. Nope. (laughs) A little bit of separation between the ninth and tenth teams on the table. All right, moving on to our last match of the week between Chicago Red Stars and the Orlando Pride. The Pride got the win 2-0 with goals from Jody Taylor and Sydney LaRue. We saw the continuation of the Sydney LaRue revenge tour, but really the big storyline of this match is refereeing. So Andre, we saw Danny Colaprico go off on Twitter about a few different challenges in the match, and we've talked about it several different times on this podcast. Our listeners have probably heard it several times on other podcasts about refereeing in this league. So I guess my question to you before we kind of dig into the match anymore is what can the NWSL do to make the refereeing of this league better? So there's like a couple options um, to this or a couple answers to this. And one is long-term and one is short-term. The short-term one is tell the referees to protect the players. (laughs) Like you have cards in your pocket those cards are used to keep, you know, to, to make the punishments uh, mid-game that keep the intensity level fair um, and, if need be, send players off when they cross that line. Taylor Korniak absolutely crossed that line. If you mm-hmm. find the gif of it, which Danny Colaprico definitely tweeted about. She tweeted out in, like, four different angles. Yes. Um, it was 
a shocking tackle. Um, the ref realized that it was bad, but only gave a yellow. And that, to me, is straight red. She was not going to win the ball. She basically traps the player's ankle in like between her like thighs in a like in like a motion where she kind of like it's like a chopping motion. It was just not it was just not a good tackle at all. And you don't you know, those have to be punished because they can't be allowed. Like you're, the message has to be sent. Like if you do that, you're going to be off the pitch and you're going to harm your team because they're going to have to play a player down. And it's just, to me, that's the simplest solution is just telling the, the, the play, the referees that you cannot just keep ignoring fouls or, or not understanding the gravity of certain fouls. Now, some of that, you know, the, the longer term answer is, and it was still just uh, this. This kind of this is kind of like a longer term rant, so I'm going to shorten it up. But basically, the the you, the NWSL needs to lead and stop always trying to follow. I understand what the MLS does. I understand they work with PRO, and it seems like the NWSL just gets what they get and seem to be happy to get it. But if if this is going to continue to be a thing, and if your players are now speaking, you know, you find coaches for talking about it, which that doesn't help anything then the players who are directly in the line of fire and can have their careers altered by these kind of injuries from these kind of tackles that are being allowed. Now you have them speaking up on Twitter. Like you need to make sure that you are protecting your players and showing your players that you care and that you're trying to do something about this. And so to me, you have to invest. If you have to do it yourself, then lead and do it yourself. Set up your own, you know, or, or find other, you know, places to work with and partner with that will help grow refs that are specific to the NWSL. Have a set of rules that, you know, come up with your own. Like stop trying to copy paste everything because you don't have to. And it's actually harmful when you do it. And this is the product. Like if the referees were doing a decent job and these were just complaints like, you know, oh, we want VIR. Oh, they're getting offside calls wrong. Or, oh, they missed a handball. Those are other complaints that every single league has to deal with. But we're talking about actual reckless play causing actual like danger to players. And we're also seeing wrong calls changing games. I'm thinking of the Gotham and and <laughs> said that weird Gotham and Spirit game, which a red card was given when it clearly shouldn't have been. So like mm-hmm. you're having all of these issues with refereeing and it's like a story, whether it's that whether it's like the A block story every single <laughs> every single week. Or it's the B. It's never it's never lower than that. <laughs> There's always a match that goes on where it's like you can't really talk about the match without talking about a, a huge refereeing error or a series of them. And this Red Stars Pride match had a series of them. There was no control over that match, and it was dangerous. There, there were players that did get hurt in this match because of the tackles that were allowed to continue to go in and that weren't adequately punished. Right. one hundred. I mean, I agree with you 100%. And I mean, I saw, to be fair, I saw a fair share of like uh, Chicago fans online, you know, tweeting about it, tweeting all the gifts and things like that. But I do, you know, like, unf- while definitely like Chicago is um, being the team most impacted by this right now, they're also not the only team <laughs> that have been impacted by really bad refereeing decisions in terms of like player safety. Like, I, I mean, I know we, this was, uh, I mean, this was very much early on in the season. This might have been even been the season opener, actually, I think, for Gotham, where I saw Midge Purse get literally punched in the face by Jane Campbell, like, 
full like yeah they were going for a, a ball but truly two hands punched in the face and i mean i know that there was always that clip going around of emily sonic getting punched in the face by keeper two and it's like you know it's one thing with refereeing and like you know is the offside call correct or you know even thinking i mean this is another decision that once that went against um the spirit but like also that handball call not not the one during the not the like the one against chicago where they got a penalty where it was like it's clearly not a handball but it's like you know that changes the course of a match but these player injuries can really really change the course of the season and you know particularly and i don't want to shout out the Orlando players that were doing it because I am always hesitant to do that because I think sometimes just fans, like sport fans in general, can be like they can just attack you know someone online. We've seen it, at, like we've seen players attacked for a lot less. So you know I am always hesitant to shout out the players who have done that. But you know there were certain players who, like I saw at one point, Mal P went flying. Um, to be fair though, I did also see, like. The match in general was maybe violent is too strong of a word, but it was kind of getting up there and like, you know, fouls from both teams. I will say Orlando definitely had the lion chairs of ones that people are looking at, but there were also, you know, some like one or two late slide tackles or, you know, clips of feet and things like that. And it's just, there have been so many times in this league where the little things are missed. And so then they really bubble up to the big things. And that's why you get, Danny Colaprico tweeting at the league literally 17 times. Obviously, I'm exaggerating. It wasn't actually 17. But, you know, you see her tweeting at the league. And, I mean, there I feel like there are even times where we were talking about with Trinity Rodman, like her particularly, you know, players say they want to quote-unquote frustrate her, but that means, you know, being extra physical with her. I think it was in that Louisville game where they didn't even catch her on camera and she was just, like, dead. I don't know how she got, she was basically flattened out. And so we've said it so many times on this podcast. And unfortunately, I think we're going to continually say it on this podcast, but just like something has got to change because it's like, it's having absolute ripple effects throughout the league. Not only just with players potentially having season injury, season ending injuries. I mean, we don't know what Danny Colaprigo or Morgan Gattras injuries are right now, or at least they haven't been announced, but you know, your number one priority as a league, and this goes back even thinking about 2020 and having specifically black players talking about not feeling safe in stadiums and things like that. The number one thing that the league should be focusing on is player safety. And the number one way they can immediately change this problem is by hiring better referees. If you can't hire better referees, like you got to tell them that they need to protect players first because, and I mean, I feel like we even saw parts of it during the Olympics of like, you know, really bad tackles. And to be fair, there was VAR, but like even things with protecting goalkeepers, like that just all needs to be implemented throughout this league. Yeah. It's, it's like the league is, they don't seem to understand that the actual like thing that makes their league is the players. <laughs> like, that's it. These players are some of the best in the world. They are your players. They are players that choose to do this in your league when we know they could go other places and play. Um, and they choose to be in this league. 
So you need to value that and you need to protect them because, I mean, honestly, you should do that just because you're a soccer league and that's what you should do <laughs> to your players. Like mm-hmm. that's just that's just like a bare minimum thing. But it's really frustrating because the players don't deserve to always be, you know, bear the brunt of this. And then when they speak up, you know, or a coach speaks up, they're fined. You know, a player shouldn't have to go on Twitter and and repost like a gif of their of a foul that happened on them and point it and and scream like via Twitter like in the interwebs like this was really bad what just happened to me <laughs> like that's when you know like okay if you just thought that people were complaining about refereeing because people always complain about refereeing hopefully you mm-hmm. understand now that it's a real problem and you really need to fix it as your players do not feel protected and that's a really really bad sign. Yeah, and I mean, to me, also the number one, because I rewatched this Chicago game, um, and to me, like, (laughs) the number one sign of, like, hey, this is probably an egregious foul is how the crowd reacts. Yeah. And I mean, and if you go back and if you watch, like, you obviously you can't just watch the, uh, like, the gifts online because they don't have sound, but... Thinking, for example, the Sydney LaRue tackle on Morgan Gatraud, the crowd for the most part was actually like silent. Like there was no like huge like roar from the crowd versus when Mal Pugh was flung in the air. And then when, um, you know, Danny Colaprigo was tackled that way, you had massive crowd reactions. And it's like, okay, if the crowd is reacting this way and it's not like a handball call, like you're probably, and this is happening, you know, not in a penalty box you've probably missed something yeah and it's it's you know that's kind of the frustrating thing to me is that like the the end of this is something that can be fixed relatively quickly like obviously investing in refereeing finding other refereeing partners to partner with that can specialize in in the nwsl that can grow uh and learn how to you know manage games properly like, yeah, that's a longer term investment, but you can just straight up now as the NWSL just straight up be like, hey, our players don't feel like they're being protected. You, you've got you've got to call fouls when they're fouls. You've got to bring out your yellow and red cards. You can't be afraid because like you mentioned, like that Red Stars pride game, the reason why it got to that is because fouls weren't being called. So players just kind of took it on themselves and said, okay, this is basically, it changes your mindset. Like you're like, okay, we're in, the match is going to be this physical. Okay. Now I've got to make sure that I'm that physical so that I'm not the one that messes around and gets injured out here. So, and it completely Mm -hmm. alters the match and it elevates it. And that's the whole purpose of the referee. That's why the referee is there. Not only for just like, you know, handball calls and those other things or just to like, point which direction you know who has possession of a ball when it goes out of play that's not what all the referees there to do they're there to make sure they manage the match and part of managing the match is making sure that the intensity level remains fair and that red stars pride match got well beyond fair and to the point where a clear red tackle was only a yellow and then you wonder why so many tackles went flying in and players ended up coming out of that match injured it that's why and that just can't happen so you know, we're going to keep talking about it. Players are talking about it. We don't like to see it. We will also, you know, like I mentioned, I think I said this before on a podcast, like refereeing also helps to improve the product on the pitch as well. So like you want to see the players play football, play soccer. You don't want to see them sliding into each other. So like it improves the product as well. It keeps the match flowing, gives players parameters that they have to play in between. Um, and that helps the game flow a little bit better. So, um, League, 
just got to do something. So um, let's go ahead and look at the table. And this podcast has gone long, so we're going we gonna to do heated and hyped uh, real quick and get out of here. But the table real quick, uh, Portland Thorns are on top, uh, kind of running away with it a little bit, got 28 points. They are seven points ahead of the second place team, which is North Carolina Courage. The fun thing about the rest of this, though, is that between the second place team and the eighth place team, eighth is the Houston Dash, there's only a four point difference. So it is tight, y'all. It is ridiculously tight. And some of these teams, uh, as Courtney mentioned, like Gotham, they've only played 12 matches. Most most uh, clubs have played 13 and some have played 14. So, yeah, it's good. there's definitely going to be a lot more shakeup. Uh, Gotham are your third place team with 20 points. The Pride have 20 points as well. The Red Stars have 20 points as well. And a negative five goal differential. Hilarious. Uh, OL Rain has 19 points. The Spirit have 18. The Dash has 17. Rossing Louisville is in ninth with 14 points. And poor KC is down at the bottom with only four points. No wins as of yet. Yeah, they they got to get that win. But I mean, also the most interesting thing about this is that like, Louisville is only one win away from being tied on points with Houston. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. really, it's two through, like, it could easily be two through nine. So, And, I mean, and like we said, Rossing all, all has only played 12 matches. So if they get three points from their next match, they'll be tied on points with, um, they'll have 17 points. So they'll be right there. So two through nine could <laughs> could be separated by four points. This league is just getting more and more spicy by the day, um, especially, you know, with teams that were at the top losing, except for Portland, obviously. It's, um, but, you know, getting more and more spicy. But, you know, Andre, there is a list that I want to read to you that was tweeted out by NWSL Analytica. If you're not following them, go follow them. It's a great Twitter account. And it's a top 10 list of expected goals and assists from NWSL players. Ooh, tell me who's you- on it. Are you ready for this list? Because it's black as hell. Okay, <laughs> leading the top of the list is Jess McDonald with mm-hmm. uh, 6.85. Next is Lynn Williams, then mm-hmm. Ashley Sanchez, then friend of the pod, Ifiana Manu, mm-hmm. followed by Sydney LaRue, Trinity Rodman, Midge Purse, also known as Margaret Purse, Davinia Malpew, and rounding out the top 10 is Sofia Huerta. Yo. Those are a lot of melanin on this list, okay? There's a whole lot of melanin on this list, and I love it. I love it. We keep, I listen, keep trying to tell y'all, this is it. This is the future. This is how it's going to be. This is one of the reasons why I'm so hard on the league and will continue to be hard on the league because they need to make sure that the league is ready because this list made me so happy when I saw it. I was just reading each name. Uh, and, and you know that gif? I don't even remember what the what the uh, what the animated like movie is, but it's basically a sloth, and it does like that slow smile. And like that was me just watching this, just reading each name on his list. I was just like, "Are you kidding?" Like it just gets better and better and better and better all the way down the list. Listen, listen, the sport's gonna get blacker. It's gonna get blacker. Some people are ready for it, and some people aren't. And we need people to be ready for it. And we need the people that aren't to be gone. We do. If you don't know what we're talking about, well, you haven't listened to this podcast, but also <laughs> if you want some a great sermon about this sport yes. getting blacker, specifically on the national team, go listen to our friends at Shea Buddha FC because on their last episode, Silves had a good sermon about this, and I would 100% recommend 
recommend you listening to it. But honestly, this list is really, really nice to see. I feel like these are players that we have also been talking about a good amount. I mean, I think I've tweeted like three times that Ashley Sanchez is consistently in her bag. But also, so is friend of the pod, Evie. Evie mm-hmm. is always out here vying for I remember for a Evie wasn't starting for the majority of the season. They Which is bonkers. out there with Carly Lloyd. And you look at what Evie's done since. Just um, incredible. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. You know, we love to see it. And you know, Andre, this list, I know we kind of skipped the transition, but this list is my hyped. I <laughs> love seeing all of the melanin on this list. And you know, hopefully we know this with like media coverage sometimes and just putting shine on players who have consistently deserved the shine. But Andre, what is your hyped of this week? Oh, let's see. What's got me hyped? I honestly a couple things. I, I'm 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 kind of hyped about this uh these these you know, international tournaments that are coming up. Um, I'm kind of excited to see, you know, these teams play against NWSL teams. And all I'm going to say is what I really, really need, what I really, really want, we need, we must have a Club World Cup in women's football. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to keep saying it. We club need World to have cup. it. We need a Club World Cup. It would be so incredible. It would be so, it would be even so much better than the Champions League. It would be incredible. Like, just imagine, just imagine all the clubs getting together and playing this big ass tournament. Like it would be like, obviously figuring out the time to do it would be the thing because, you know, Europe is in off season right now. They're in their preseason right now. So like you do have to figure that out. But honestly, I need, we need a club world cup and women's soccer. It would be so fire. So I'm excited to see these teams um, you know, like I mentioned, Bayern, uh, PSG, Lyon, and Barcelona are going to be over here playing a series uh, of matches against each other and then a final one against an NWSL team. So I'm excited for it. I'm ready to see it. So uh, let's see. We kind of did. We, we're going to end this on what's got us heated. It wasn't intentional, but it's the way it's going to happen. So, <laughs> Courtney, what has you heated? I mean, besides me just consistently moving. Besides me just consistently losing sleep over the past two weeks. Honestly, I think, you know, we talked about this before, but just player safety. We've been shouting about it over and over again about the importance of player safety and just like it like it should be common sense, but it's not for some reason. And so I just really hope that, you know, we can protect players in the future. And also what's gotten me a little bit heated is people not putting respect on Ashley Lawrence and Deanne Rose and how important they were to Canada's victory, uh, you know, during the Olympics. So that's, I'm not super heated this week, mostly because I'm tired. Um, (laughs) So that is really what's gotten me heated. But Andre, what's got you heated? Yo, on your last one, call them out. Abby Wambach, she's one that hit up that that mentioned everybody but... (laughs) <laughs> Ashley Lawrence and uh and Deanne Rose and Michelle Prince. So yeah, um don't forget. Uh if you ask those Canada players, I guarantee you they will have different answers. So um don't don't make sure you don't forget yourself. Um what's got me heated? Honestly, the NWSL front office and just decisions that they tend to continue to make seems like they don't know who their audience is. That's alarming. And it also seems like at times that they don't seem to care. They're going to continue to operate as a cookie cutter 
um, sports league and try to emulate some of the other sports leagues when their target audience is not the audience or should not be their target audience should not be what other sports leagues target audiences are. And also their actual audience is not what other audiences are in other sports leagues. The NWSL has a majority marginalized audience. And when you bring people in who threaten those people, who make things unsafe, who are, do, who are not invested in creating a safe environment for those people, you really alienate your fan base and your audience. And I do not understand why they do not get that. And that is something that has been really concerning to me um, to watch the, the, the league continue to make these decisions. You have some of the best players in the world. You have some of the most intelligent players in the world. You have players who are in front of like um, NWSL PA positions who are really smart. You have the Black Women's Player Collective as well. You have resources. You have places to go to make sure that you don't keep falling on your face when you try to do stuff. But the league doesn't seem to care. And that part is what's really concerning to me. Yeah, the only thing I got to say about that is it's also, I just hope that with the Black Players, the Black Women's Player Collective, that their voices are listened to and it's not just, hey, we're bringing you in the room, but we're still going to do what we want. Yes, absolutely. That's all I got to say about that. But I will say, I do actually have another hype is it's like getting kind of, we're in August and it's like kind of getting to the time of the year. I mean, obviously in New York, this doesn't happen because we have approximately two days of fall and then it's winter between (laughs) summer and winter, but things are starting to cool down a little bit. And as a lady who's living in an apartment with no central AC, I just got my box units. I am a little bit excited about that. And on a personal note, I'm about to get some really long braids next week, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> Shout out to that. I, I, I appreciate you taking the podcast into a positive place so we can end. That's what I appreciate. Thank that you. and I'm about to eat 75 pounds of pasta and I'm so excited about it. <laughs> so yeah. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of Diaspora United. Sure enough. And uh, yeah, shout out to pasta. (laughs) Shout out to pasta. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Diaspora United Podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review us anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Diaspora United Pod. That's Diaspora U-T-D-P-O-D. And message us if there's anything you want us to talk about in our next podcast. See you next time.